0: It's all it's it's all in there. Yeah, well, there that uh, we're talking about tonight is book three of uh, the Odyssey. And uh, we're back, uh, Jay and Paul here uh, covering uh, the Odyssey booked by book. And yep. um, we've done an introduction. We've done book one, book two. We hope you've um, worked through those. And uh, we're into book three, too. And we want to walk through them with uh, things that we've done. Um, and uh, ways to, uh, to bring this into your class because it's a good book to bring in your class, as Jay was just discussing. And we're talking about any level of, of, of students, really, from students who, Jay was talking about students who cannot sit and look at the book for, for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. literally, without darting off. I've got the same kind of things. I, I have students who get up and stand. And, you know, as long as they're not you know, messing up the class, I, I, let them go. I let them get up and walk. They stand over and lean against the wall and hold their book. Fun, you know. Um, i identify with that um, personally, <laughs> deeply, and uh, yeah. and nevertheless, uh, it is a book that students settle into, and and for whom a great deal of the story, against all odds, actually um, actually works. You know, mm-hmm. so so that's encouragement. You know, uh, notes from the field. You know, lie, You know, Jay and I are out there on the front lines. You know, <laughs> with students um uh trying this trying this stuff out and it's nice jay i know you have students at different levels so you can try this out you have your high performing students and then you have your, your students who are still trying to have those successful experiences of just getting through books, you know mm-hmm. um, and so it's nice to try it against um against each of them and um yeah. mm-hmm. you know and, and, and i'm in the same circumstance so mm-hmm. um all right we want to start with a poem uh, yeah you them. have one. yeah do you know i do nice. and you know, what impresses me uh, most about chapter three was uh, is um, the, the the religion and the pagan religiosity. If you want to know, again, how the Odyssey is, is sort of a, uh, uh, you know, a, a Bible you know for Greek religion, as I've said before, is, you know, it mm-hmm. tells you lots of things you need to know about the gods and also tells you how to sacrifice to them if you need to know. So if, yeah. if you're wondering how to set one of these things up, you know, in your backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, book three gives you a lot of instruction, and it's expensive. You might want a
1: trigger warning, Paul. I know you're into trigger warnings. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you're yes. a vegan watching this, uh, <laughs> oh, probably not. I don't know. Yes. There might be a moment where there are, I mean, my students, one of my guys who's Greek, uh, yeah. My one of my guys, Pete, asked, is all they eat beef? Like he asked the other day. <laughs> And because I'm the teacher, we ended up talking about steak restaurants we liked, and the class got kind of moved. Uh, they know how to get me off topic, but anyway, oh,
0: yeah. now it's a fair topic um, for this book. It's a big steak cookout here, really. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a sacrilegious way of putting it. Primarily, it's you know, it's uh, yeah. it's prayer to the gods, um, or to the god, the god that matters, and um, um, uh, that's Poseidon, by the way, and and um. Uh, and, and there's lots of good details in that. Anyway, while I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, what's a good, what's a good, I like American lit a lot. What's a good American religion, pagan poem, you know? And and mm. for me, the American religion really is, uh, is transcendentalism, honestly. And, um, you know, our critic who we mentioned a lot, Harold Bloom, that's probably the first book of his I read. I was in college. I don't know how I came across it because I had no idea who he was or even how to read anything he wrote. But he read, he did write a book called The American Religion, and um, it's very yeah. good um, and I've you know gone on to teach transcendentalism and the transcendentalists, and um, um, and I and I really do think that's sort of the the core of what's uniquely uh, a uniquely American version of Christianity. Anyway, I found a poem by E. E. Cummings, um, hmm. who I've read a bit. Uh, he was born in Cambridge, Mass, not too far from where you are sitting right now, Jay. And hmm. um, his father was a Unitarian pastor, and Unitarianism is the church of transcendentalism. And, um, and so you find his, um, that uh, religious expression in his, in his poems. So I thought a parallel poem for a very religious chapter, uh, chapter three of the Odyssey. I would read um, uh, tonight, I thank you, God, for most this amazing. I thank you, God, for most this amazing by E.E. E. Cummings. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day. For the leaping greenly spirits of trees and a blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I, who have died, am alive again today. And this is the sun's birthday. This is the birthday of life and of love and wings and of the gay, great happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable you. Now the ears of my ears awake, and now the eyes of my eyes are opened. That's I thank you, God, for most this amazing by hmm. comings. That's a good one. Never heard that one. That's awesome yeah it's a nice sort of invocation, maybe a prayer uh yep. to God in a most fundamental sense that I think um possibly a Greek sitting around a fire with the e Cummings might appreciate
1: yeah life. yeah uh, that's so, awesome, yeah,
0: so there's a poem um on topic on theme, I think uh for Uh, For book three, my translation, it's titled The Lord of the Western Approaches. As we uh, left off in book two, um, Mm -hmm. Telemachus is off and and running. He's up. um, He's active at the instigation of Mentor, uh, Athena, the guise of Mentor. um, He's taken off to to take action, to um, no longer just sit around and, um, you know, let bad things happen, but to see what he can do and also possibly uh, to win some fame in the world uh, for his own name. As um as Agamemnon's son did, as we're reminded over and over, and that comes up again in in, in book three. So he's off in sailing um down to sandy Pylos to see old Nestor. Um, mm-hmm. He was in the battle and he came back uh, from from the war and made it. And maybe he knows something. Maybe he saw something that happened. And this is um this is Telemachus's uh, first uh, first stop to gather uh, to gather information.
1: All right, how do you um uh, how do you want to jump into this, Jay? What are you thinking? Just a quick a, a summary of just some plot points that I think any treatment of book three would at least mention. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, this is the beginning of Telemachus leaving home. I think it's since we're teaching teenagers and most of the time people experience this, for, this book for the first time as teenagers. One of the conversations that often comes up organically is to what extent does one need to leave what's familiar in order to grow up? And mm-hmm. Polemachus well, has to change addresses for a while, it seems, to grow as a human being. And it isn't simply that he has this particular concrete task to search for information. There's something about being around different people with different stories and different maybe ways of eating and associating with each other. And all a lot of us have that experience maybe going to college or getting married and intersecting with a different family or maybe moving to a different part of the country. Yeah. So anyway, it can it can afford some interesting personal narrative opportunities for first-time readers, uh, it's reasonable before book three to ask students, um, when was the first time you realized that there was a world outside of your house? Uh, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of kids yeah. will talk about vacation, or I, it could be any of these things. But anyway, I think that's just important to mention. He learns stories. Uh, he gets nothing what he asked for in terms of data <laughs> about Odysseus, but he learns about the feuding between uh Menelaus and his brother Agamemnon who was the king of all the Greeks and then the st- something I want to talk about the story that haunts this entire poem which is Agisthus's murder of Agamemnon after Agamemnon comes home from war um and it and it ends clearly with with Nestor treating this kid Telemachus really well and you get a sense he's going to be okay there uh, as long as he's there he even gives uh, stuff, right? He gives a chariot, gifts, and even his own son, Pisistratus, is allowed to go with yeah. Telemachus for the rest of the journey. So anyway, just as that's like a very surface level, the nuts yeah. and bolts of just the plot of Book 4. But it's yeah. the beginning of Telemachus' world getting a little bit larger than his hometown, and I think that's uh, yeah, that's an easy hook for first-time readers, especially if they're kids, I think.
0: Yeah, that's good too, and it's not too applicationy. Really, it's really on right. topic. I think it's very much a part of the plot because yep. the book the book opens as soon as they get there. Uh, Telemachus practically loses heart. He realizes, like you say, this is maybe the first time he's been away from home, and he doesn't know how to talk to people. You know, away from home, he's never right. he's never interviewed anyone, much less a king. <laughs> Uh, before he doesn't yeah. know he doesn't know what to say and so he almost kind of backs out really in the beginning in the beginning of the chapter so what you're saying is on the page uh telemachus comes to realize i, I don't know what to say, and he says this to, to to Mentor: i don't know what to do i don't know how to talk to talk to anyone any of these people and mm-hmm. uh, mentor says hey, hey not a time for for being bashful or shy here step up yeah and don't worry about it your reason and your instincts um will will kick in and your heart, your humanness, just speak out of your, you know, he says basically speak out of your heart and out of your mind and you'll be, you'll be fine, but step up. It's time. And so, yes, that's, that's, it's a good hook, like you say, for our own students, especially when we do this in ninth grade, a lot of times we've done a coming of age kind of theme, you know, so we, we've talked about in ninth mm-hmm. grade. I think it's very commonly done in high school and this just fits, you know, hand in glove um, with it. So um, yeah, I think that's, I think it's very much on topic. Mm. Um, So uh, Telemachus uh, pops in. I also like the point that you make, and I would like to emphasize this is a fun theme. I don't know if it's a theme or a motif, maybe, of people not getting what they're asking for or um, things yeah. not, there's <laughs> a whole elaborate chapter. It was lots of interaction and information, but it's not exactly, it's not directly. It's, it's right. indirectly always um, some kind of further, I mean, he leaves with an idea for a place to go to get more information. You know, Nestor tells him, why don't you go on and talk to Menelaus, it's not that far away. You can drive mm-hmm. over there. He was, I think it was the last one home. He could probably tell you something like this. And yep. um, yeah, that's great. But as far as you know, if, you're, if, if Telemachus is taking notes on you know what does Nestor you know know about that, um, there are no notes in that column. You know, there's nothing, mm-hmm. you know, nothing there.
1: It gives an elaborate just to, story. Just to preview this, my homework question after Book Three is um, Book Three. It doesn't achieve its goals. It do, it doesn't give Telemachus data about Odysseus. So why is it there? And I think there's a lot of interesting possible answers. You and I are probably going to delve into them. But just as dealing with amateur readers reading a difficult text, it's a good object lesson in that difficult texts are nuanced and layered, and not every layer looks really obviously important in real time as you read it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to wait. I think I think we're used to kids, particularly, would be used to a show on Netflix or a film with where the first forty minutes. You're not exactly sure why things are happening the way they are. But because you've watched a lot of Netflix shows, you just sort of trust the process. But in books so often, Paul, right, kids get impatient and want to know all the answers right away. And that's just not how these things work. And it's okay. It's okay to say that. And, you know, he doesn't get what he wants in book three. So let's just presume. I always tell students when you're in the hands of a great writer, presume everything matters until you have a reason not to presume it.
0: Yes, yeah, and hang on yeah. and wait, and I'm always pushing yeah. back against that um you know that that impatience that expresses itself in googling, you know where you yeah, ask why yeah. in book three here you know and 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 right. start reading it up that's not reading, that's not reading the book, that's reading something else. Right. But that's not, the pro- that's not what we mean by reading, by just sitting with it, um, yeah. developing trust of the author, as you say, and then mm-hmm. sort of keeping track in your mind of, of these things that I need answers about, I need to follow up on, and, um, mm-hmm. and that you can call the author to task on, you know, in the end. And maybe, and maybe you don't get an answer and you say, look, I got this against Homer. I felt jerked around you yeah. know, by the story. There's way too, yeah, yeah. you know, dead ends. And that's fair enough, you know, it's fair enough yep. to have Um, And I'm always telling students, again, put your questions in your book, uh, buy a paperback, mark it up, make this a journal. Maybe you'll throw it away. Okay, fine. But maybe not. Maybe this Mm. will be a journal of your first reading of this book. And hopefully it is only your first reading, meaning there'll be more. And um, you can come back to yourself um, and, and revisit yourself in the book and see the questions you had and the things. This is a book that's well worth you know, journaling your life into, in a sense, you know, uh, tracking yourself by tracking your understanding, your skill Mm -hmm. as a reader, your questions as a human being, um, put them in these pages and, and hang on to them. I'm always sort of pushing, uh, pushing this. And this is, and this is one of those easy ways to do it. Why is this, why is this chapter, um, here sort of, you know, sort of question. Yeah, Yeah. Um, so i think yes and and you know and i asked that too in 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 preparing for um uh this episode tonight and uh and and i think you know i would generalize by there's a plot there's a plot thing that's going on here that i think is this happening which again is indirect and then there is a a sort of um i don't know a dramatic thing happening too i feel i feel like there is um, a building of expectation uh, that, that that's happening around essentially Odysseus around the meeting of the meeting of, of Odysseus. There's some there's some tension. Um, the the points of of tension are this thing that's going going on back home. Is this just going to go on and keep happening? Uh, Telemachus says in this in this chapter he can't imagine it not happen. Not, he can't imagine it going away. He can't imagine him setting you know the house in order or the order or the house being set in order again at all. Um, So there's tension around that. Um, There's tension around, you know, Telemachus, Telemachus's success. Um, And then also about. And this is maybe a a third or fourth reading sort of tension, but tension about Odysseus. Who is this guy? Um, Mm -hmm. And Telemachus articulates some of this. But as a reader, um, but maybe we know we think we're supposed to know he's a he's a he's he's a hero. He's going to come through or something. But if you let right. yourself walk with Telemachus, you know, and especially if you don't know the book, you don't know that you don't know, mm. you know, and, and especially in and every age has a its right to be critical. But in our critical age, you're asking, is it, this is actually a respectable person? I right. think it's, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. You should ask that all the way, you know, just because he was venerated in another time. Are we going to venerate him now? And so we don't know that. And I think that tension um, is building in the story and it is building in this chapter because we hear someone who knows Odysseus talk about. Now, that's not the final word. Nestor doesn't have the final word on anyone. But one of the ways a writer builds a character is by testimonial, by other characters, what other other characters say about uh about Mm -hmm. a person so we do um we do we do have that and we do have that and so so there's the development of tension around Odysseus around Telemachus um and then also there's just this backfilling I think of the story of um what was the Trojan War what happened there how do people who were in it feel about it it's really nice to hear Nestor talk about what it was like to be there on the battlefield Now he thinks, you know, we know this Greek culture is being a warrior culture, thinking of it being rah-rah, you know, for honor and glory on the battlefield. And I think that's all true. But also, he's like, it's awful. It's awful. The people we lost. You can't believe it, you know. And his mm. own son, you know, one of his own sons, you know, dies there. You that's know, not just that's not just nothing, you know, that's not just funny or you know, ah, oh, right. this happens kind of thing. I, I think you get that strong, that strong sense. So I think there's this tension thing that's building. Um, and then there is this backfilling of, of plot stuff about the about the Trojan War and how how that thing worked. Um, and then you uh, know what's the-
1: important too, in light of what you're saying, yeah, is there's a double tension. There's the tension of <clears throat> we're trying to read these moments and learn about them. Is this tension and ambiguity? The same exact thing lives inside of Telemachus. Who knows nothing? He knows what we know. Yeah. So it's almost like we're method reading. When we read of Telemachus experiencing this, because we are experiencing it. When yeah. he's confused, we're confused. When he's yeah. shocked, at the realism of the pain of war trauma, we are too. Why would he know about that? The only men he's ever been around are suitors who haven't done anything. They don't even make dinner, for God's sake. Never mind fight. So the previous yeah. generation of men are all right. dead. So he doesn't know. This is all shocking. So whatever mm. we're feeling mm. in these moments as we're learning about this, is what he's feeling. That's part of the brilliance of yes. the
0: Telemachus. And I try to drive my students down that path. Let's walk with Telemachus. And as soon as, if someone steps out and starts saying, well, it'll all be all right, or some version, of it'll all
1: be all right, Odysseus. Like, you don't know that? How do you know that? No. He's not sure? holding a book. He's not holding a book with that many more pages in it, knowing a bunch of other things going to happen. Yes. yes. Anybody in this book could die right now. That's what they're thinking.
0: Right. That's right. That's right. And that's, and that's basically is the expectation. And so I like to try to drive my students into Telemachus's position and uh, create some doubt around them, I emphasize his doubt, which I think surprises them. You know, that, you know, that line uh, we pointed out before in book one, I think it is where he says they say I'm his son. But, you know, I don't know who. Can yeah. know? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's right. You know, that's I think that's a surprising line. So I push I push into that. There's another one like that um, in this um, in this book uh 2 where uh, Athena gets uh kind of upset um Telemachus says on the same thing it's um line 245 in my translation yeah. but prudently Telemachus replied I can't think what you say will ever happen this is after Nestor says oh i've heard yeah, about yeah. the suitors and all this and uh may hopefully one day you know this gets this gets set set right yeah. telemachus says i can't think what you say will ever happen sir it's a dazzling hope but not for me. It could not be, even if the gods willed it. Wow. Yep. All right. So, so again, if you think, oh, you know, it'll all just end out, right? We know how these, how these how things play out. They don't. And Telemachus right. says, even, you know, in the face of the gods, you know, really, he says, even if the gods willed it, I can't see that happen. And I believe it when he sees that. This is the reality mm-hmm. he's grown up with. This is a total mess and his, his house being plundered and his uh, family being taken advantage of. And that's the norm, you know, and that's that's all he can see. So, right. so yeah, it's a good drawing in into that. Now, Athena kind of rebukes him after after that and says, "Wow, what strange talk you permit yourself to right. a, a god could do it; he could save the man simply by wishing it." But mm-hmm. it's an interesting line. He says, "Though if I were he, if I were Odysseus, Athena talking, I should prefer to suffer years at sea and then be safe at home. Better that than a knife at the hearthside where Agamemnon found it." Killed yep. by adulterers, and then this this you know this story is brought is brought back up, which yeah, is developed yeah. a little more in this chapter. But to that point of going down the path of uh, with Telemachus, this tension you know this tension point. I think it is good to draw readers into yeah. it, make them help them to identify uh, with Telemachus.
1: Now, yeah. right? Do you have an essential uh, quotation from Book Three, or did you already kind of touch on that?
0: Um, I like that one, the strange talk, uh, the strange talk one. That one is um, is kind of essential. I also like to point out uh, in in the beginning again to this this thing. I know we've talked about uh, before already, but um, when Telemachus arrives, there's already a huge sacrifice going on on the beach. But the way that the way that the stranger or the guest, which is which is a motif in this in this book. Is 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 treated in, in the story uh, again? Happens as it happens throughout the story. As soon as Nestor or, or his sons um, see see strangers arrive, they, they they sort of drop everything and invite them in, and they feed them, they give them a place yeah. to sit, they give them something uh, to drink, and then after all after all that is done, then they say, "Oh, now it's time um, now it's time to talk." And I like these lines. They say they feasted, and when they had eaten and drunk their fill, at last they heard from Nestor. Prince of charioteers. Now is the time, he said, for a few questions. So it always comes after. And when they had had their fill of of food and wine, then we're like, all right. So, you know, who are you? You know, (laughs) are you here, you know, and you expect, well, I'm a you know, I'm a mass murderer. I drive around killing people who invite me to their table without asking. Really? Funny you mentioned. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, really? Oh, I guess we shouldn't invite you in. That never happens. They always just invite him in. You
1: know. right. <laughs> exactly. Nothing to see here.
0: <laughs> exactly. And then, clear-headed Telemachus uh, responds carefully. So, one, yeah. I like this this motif of welcoming, of hospitality. And and then I think you know the, maybe the, the the core core quote I have here is is Telemachus's um, uncertainty about what's going to happen, and um, and and him and him expressing it, saying I can't see this I can't see this being otherwise. And Nestor doesn't make any promises. He's like Ah, oh, it'll be fine. He doesn't he doesn't do that either. He doesn't blow that off. You know he says Well, you know, we'd we'd hope to see that happen. And later he says I can see when Athena kind of weirdly I think sort of shows herself, um, when she disappears slash Athena slash mentor, um, Nestor comments says, Oh, I see that Athena loves you. Like, like she loves Odysseus. You'll be, you'll be fine. He does get that, uh, that reassurance, but, um, but not that everything will be set. Not that everything will be set. Right. So I don't know. I like that, that line, strange talk coming from you Telemachus. Um, I
1: don't know. What did
0: you, what did you land on?
1: I had the uh um, the agisthus thing. And again, just trying to think about making confident readers. Um, I have some students that struggle and you know, to get them to see echoes and patterns in a difficult book is really great. I just did Hamlet a little while ago and there's all the father-son mm-hmm. resonance and echoes in Hamlet. Um mm-hmm. and that's just a really interesting lens through which to read that difficult text is the father and son lens. And here Uh, not only in the characters, but even in some of the biblical allusions. But anyway, here, um, the Agisthus story is mentioned in book one. It's mentioned here. It's over and over and over again. And Nestor is talking to this boy about the Trojan War. And what story does he tell, dedicate the most text to? It isn't about the glory of war. It isn't about the Trojan horse, which must have been amazing. The end of 10 years, I think of, you know that famous picture on the street in America in World War One with the soldier and the girl kissing at the yeah. end of World War II? I mean, the black yeah. and white photo, right, the famous picture? Um, it must have felt so celebratory and glorious to know that 10 years of hand-to-hand combat was over. Nope, not what he's telling about. He's talking, and, it, and it's – I I think the Emily Wilson translation is about 40 or 50 lines ahead. So when I tell you it's line 252 or 3 – it's the beginning of a stanza, and it said, geraanian Nestor, Lord of horses answered the The question is uh telemachus asking uh how did King Agamemnon die and where was Menelaus and what happened here and there and here, but he he focuses on Agamemnon. Nestor says, uh, Lord of horses answered, I'll tell everything though you can guess what would have happened if fair Menelaus had founded just this living in his halls on his return, yeah. Uh, And then five or six lines down, while we fought and labored at Troy, this layabout, just this, sat safe in Argos, seducing Clytemnestra noble wife of Agamemnon. And I just want to say, our school put on Ephigenia, the play, and you probably know from before the Trojan War that Agamemnon had to sacrifice his own daughter, Ephigenia, to please the gods in order to sail to Troy, which... Safe to say, slightly bothered, Clyde Amnestra. So she seemed to hold a grudge somehow. She seemed yeah. very sensitive, Clyde Amnestra. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so the source material is torn as to is Aegisthus the murderer? Is Clyde Amnestra the murderer? Was she getting revenge on her husband for killing their kid? Like so. It, once you start digging into the origin stories of whether it's Circe, whether it's all these characters, they're always like rich and interesting. Not just like there's no stick figures. Even the characters that are villainous, it's like well, you know that you can you can kind of wrestle with it. Anyway, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So so the rest is uh, yeah. For a while, she Clytemnestra scorned his foul suggestions, since her heart was good. So she didn't commit adultery for a while. I don't know what a while is. Moreover, when her husband went to Troy, he left a poet, ordered to protect her. But finally, fate, and I'm going to talk about fate for my surprising quote, forced okay. the queen to yield. Mm. So in, in a couple of different translations, the wording is different. But what's clear is that... It wasn't Clytemnestra making an immoral choice. Clytemnestra is moved by fate, which she cannot change. The the gods can't change the fates. And I'm going to talk about that later. Agisthus left the poet to be eaten by birds. That'll teach you to be a poet, Paul. Abandoned on a desert island. Uh, he led the woman back to his own house. And then he has a long tangent and skip a stanza. And I'm almost done. Meanwhile, no, not- at home. Aegisthus had been plotting. He killed the son of Atreus, Agamemnon, seized yeah. control of rich Mycenae, where he reigned for seven years. So this guy is adulterous. Seven years. The, the sort yeah. of Claudius of the gang, right? Right. In the eighth, Orestes, and you could read the Orestia, a great Greek text about the revenge of Orestes, came to destroy him. Um, so. Eventually, the moral, this is how. This is really blunt, and it's nice when really difficult texts just hand you this. I remember that line in Hamlet where he looks at Ophelia and says, I did love you once. Like, all my students love that because they know what that means. It's like yeah. here, uh, Nestor says, the moral is, you must not stay away too long, dear boy, when those proud suitors lurk inside your house. They may divide your wealth. They may... So it's like, well, no, you have to take care of your house because look what happens when you don't c- take care of your house. Yeah, you know. So I just think I think that not only is the poem anxious about um, fidelity and particularly the fidelity of women to men, because it men it's not really an issue if men are unfaithful in this poem, but it's a real issue if women are unfaithful. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know the poem is anxious about it, but Nestor himself is anxious to tell Telemachus about it. So on every level, there's a lot of anxiety about fidelity. And particularly this particular story, because Agamemnon is the king of the, the, the whole Greek four, the highest higher up. And this happened to him. Yeah, it's shocking. Like, it's shocking. Shockful. It's the last person yeah. this
0: happened to. And, yeah. and so yeah, this, this repeat of the story just plays over and over, especially later in the book when Odysseus comes comes back home and the carefulness, the excessive carefulness um, he right. takes. The, the the poet reminds you of this. Well, don't forget, even the likes of Agamemnon, you know, Odysseus' general, you know, essentially the guy above him, um, was not careful enough. He just bombed in. Honey, I'm home. I know you've missed <laughs> me deeply, you know? And yeah. <laughs> it just wasn't true. Um yeah it's good you're right there is there is um when and each of these stories give the more you dig in as you're saying the more the more they give so if you look into this and see well what kind of person was Clyde Nestor? and then let's say you stumble on that story of Iphigenia and you think, oh man, it's very easy to believe that that's faded uh, the Fitzgerald translation just said then came the
1: faded hour when she gave in you know which is so- slightly gentler towards the fates and and let yes. more harsh. And this and, is this is really getting into the weeds. Um, but that doesn't net that, that doesn't let Clytemnestra off the hook like saying uh fate forced the queen to yield. So it'd be interesting to know the Greek there.
0: It would, it would. Because Fitzgerald is saying it is a fated hour, meaning it I well, I don't know yeah. exactly what it means, but it's it is fateful. I mean, a lot turns on this. She gets mm-hmm. in finally. I I always have, have read it as, and and I haven't read the Greek, but I've always read it as Clytemnestra is. I think she is she is keyed up to kill Agamemnon no matter what. The only question mm. was was she going to hook up with this guy, you know, and you know, and use him. I feel like she's using him, you know, to uh, mm. to to complete her own uh, purposes because she never forgave and never forgot. Sure. You know what 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 Agamemnon did, yeah. and should she have? Absolutely not. Right, right.
1: And, I, you know, we can get into the weeds on this. And I think with first time kids who are reading kids, reading this for the first time, always remembering that it's a story within a story. It's a framed tale. And we should be paying really close attention to what this kid he's a kid, what this kid, how this kid is responding to all of this new information.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, that's, and that's the thread you can stick with. Again, it's tracking yeah. down. Try to see it through Telemachus' eyes. Maybe he doesn't know really these stories at all. Nestor says, oh, I'm sure you've heard of Agamemnon. Everyone has. Well, maybe he's heard of it. But, um, but maybe that's it. But, but the least that it does is what he keeps hearing everyone say is, um, by implication, Telemachus, you know, you're up. Mm. You're up. There's something yeah. bad happening in your house. Look what these other guys, look, look what this other guy has done, you know, to, you know, to, to fix his own father's household. It's at the very least, it's this, it's this um, uh, responsibility or sense of duty mm-hmm. or pressure, you know, that's, um, yeah. that's introduced to Telemachus. So that, I, can just to, with.
1: I want to throw this out and I, ha- I haven't thought of it. Something you and I have been talking about have made me think of it. I mentioned earlier on that the suitors, while villainous, the Ithacan suitors, while villainous, clearly villainous and impious. Uh also are speaking to the fact that there's a leadership vacancy, which in this universe is incredibly dangerous.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there is a reason for one of them to marry, right? Penelope. Yeah. One wonders, and I don't know the story well enough, but one wonders Vitam Nesra's home alone for a decade. There's a leadership vacancy. This guy ends up taking over after after uh Agamemnon comes home, right? And he rules for seven years. Now he's avenged and died. How bad could it have been? Like, was he a bad ruler even? I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't know mm. the answer. To that. Mm.
0: Right. Um, but the, the yeah, and the, the seven years, I, I read that as it just um, uh, is just way like Orestes just isn't there. He's gone. And then yeah. he comes back. Um, I, I, I don't know why he's gone. Um mm. but um yeah, seven long years with Agamemnon dead, he held the people he held the people down before the vengeance. I mean that's not a, a really nice line, not like he ruled in greatness or something. But in the eighth year, back from exile in Attica. So maybe yeah, I don't know this backstory. Maybe Orestes was exiled, sent off, you know, to make sure that yeah. he didn't try to pull any, you know, in, oh, that he doesn't try to do what he did. Um, yeah, he, he makes he makes his
1: way he makes his way back. But you're saying how bad could it have been? How bad was it? Well, I'm not saying he was he was, you know, Alfred the Great. I'm just saying like <laughs> I don't know about this person. I, I Yeah. You know what I mean? It's their are first time reading their stick figures, but after a while you're like, Well, who knows the complexity of the situation of the kingdom without a king? And then he comes back. But I mean, this is the guy that killed her daughter. Like, so yeah. Yeah. anyway, I mentioned this because clearly you and I are wrestling with this and you and I have read this a million times. Telemachus has never read the odyssey. He could use a copy of it actually. And he's a kid who's never known his dad. He knows his dad probably from legend only. Now he's talking to a guy who knew his dad. This is what he's listening to. Imagine what he's thinking. Imagine now that like, he's just worried about one particular woman in one particular town. And now he's realizing that the nature of these relationships themselves are often treacherous and complicated. It isn't simply, my mom's sad, my mom's in trouble. No. It's, oh, no, this is troublesome as a situation globally. Yes, right, right. It's, it's
0: caused an enormous amount of problems. And you could get lost. Not only could we get lost in the weeds of the story, Telemachus, any actor, mm. anyone who wants to grow up and take on responsibility, which are coterminous things, I think. Yep. Um is, is, is seeing the world around you that it's just not battery operated, that someone didn't just click on, but that you yeah. have a role in it in, in, in keeping it in keeping it rolling and you're trying to figure out what what your role is. Telemachus could get lost in it and not find it. Right. And so there are questions of a lack of leadership. Every time there's no lack of leadership, it's dangerous, you know. Yeah. And uh and in every in every world at every time. That the sooner yeah. have an argument. They do. They do have an argument, um, but 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 the the point, and I think this is good too for our, for our students to drive at at them, trying to understand all the historical problems, all the political, you know, nuances. Even if political just means your own family, let's say, uh, nothing broader than that. That's hard enough. But but what, and, and you may never do it. But what you can drive at is. Is And this is what Telemachus, I think, keeps coming back to him is what do I have to do? What is my responsibility? And you get from the story and and, and these wise men uh, or the men who speak to him anyway in the story. Keep telling him, Mm -hmm. you need to set the wrong right. You know, if you're a maybe, you know, maybe maybe his dad wasn't. You know, he knows his dad killed his sister. Maybe it just wasn't that bad of a king. But it doesn't matter. What matters is what right. do you have to do if someone if someone defiles your family, you know let's say um, then mm-hmm. your job is to take care of that and, and so yep. take it on and, and do that with the God's help you know as much as possible yeah. take it on so it's like it's weeding through you know all of the distractions and all the stories that Telemachus is aware of. Um, and finding the thing that you're, you're you're responsible to too, and I and I love mm-hmm. you know I love this that Homer doesn't make it just a straightforward thing. The fact that Agamemnon is kind of awful, really. I mean, he's awful. His his move. I mean, killing Iphigenia is pretty hard to justify. It seems like just a political move. You know, he's about to lose right. the coalition. He's going to lose his right. leadership. They've got to get going, and so he does. Right a horrifying thing you know that that, yep. that kind of piece so it's not a you know it's not a, a black and white story at, yeah yeah
1: yeah you know. um what about your surprising quotation a surprising quotation from book three
0: yeah um
1: <laughs> i just have a word it's not even a quotation but do you really yeah just a well do you want to go I don't know. I don't have anything too too surprising. The only they I have a little. It. I have a little thing, and we probably this probably actually connects to your notion of religion. So this, we probably could just chat about this, but let's do that because we haven't really talked about
0: the religion part, and that and, that, and that's yeah. what I remember from this chapter most is about.
1: Well, I, I'm going to connect this, if you don't mind, to my link. We have always it, obviously important quotations. We have surprising quotation. We have lingering question, and it's kind of connected to that too, but. It's this whole idea of fate that comes up a few times and mm. that you know the fates were actually three women. Uh the fates or the morai, the word mm-hmm. means to share or portion, like to apportion out people's fates, right? Right. So this is like the audience of this poem had this notion that there was a, a fate called Clotho. Yes. And she would spin the thread of your fate. Like who would measure out how long your life would be. Mm-hmm. And then Atropos, the inflexible. I love yeah. that. that. Um, yeah. I have some family members that have that epithet. No, I'm joking. Um, and <laughs> Phyllis, the inflexible. Um, she's a lot of fun at parties, but she chooses the timing and manner of your death. So this character, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. Aristotle writes about them, Plato writes about them. Yes. But here's the interesting thing. So, oh, they're also, this is funky. They're fatherless. I was reading this. They're fatherless children of Nyx or the character Knight. Mm. Who's the other famous fatherless creature we read, of, read about in Beowulf? It's Grendel. Like that whole thing is fascinating to me. Mm. But anyway, uh, these fates have this like primordial force that seems to transcend even the will of the gods. And there seems to be in classical right. studies, a lot of debates, uh, debates about the power of the fates relative to the power of the gods. Regardless yeah. Fate isn't an idea in book three. Fate is spoken out loud, mainly by Nestor, numerous times or a few times, key times. Um, So I mention this because if Telemachus is growing up and widening his world, what better way to do that than to both physically leave your geographical home, see other ways humans in the world interact, other ways to see humans pray to the gods Mm-hmm. And then hear about this other, even more transcendent force. So his life in, in sort of imaginative landscape or moral landscape after book three, if he listens to all this, has become enlarged exponentially. And I think that's a huge, my lingering question, what's the point of book three? I think a lot of it is it enlarges Telemachus's worldview to include different things in nature and supernature. But what that means, too, is because we're seeing through Telemachus' eyes and learning about the landscape, the same is true for us as readers. That we're in a world where anywhere you go, there's very different behavior. He didn't know that. He never yeah. left his house. Yeah. And then there's different ways to deal with gods. And then there's this notion of fate that seems to even transcend that. So I think, I think both for Telemachus and the reader after book three, um, there's just lots possible now. Now we have no idea. And that's like really exciting. It's not great if you're Telemachus, but it's really exciting if you're the reader, I think.
0: Yes, that's good. Yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought of the fate, but as you're talking about this, there are a couple key scenes for that. I remember Nestor talking about his own and we didn't get into this, but a, a portion of the chapter goes into the details about how they all, um, all the different uh, kings and soldiers made their way back home. And uh, Nestor yep. goes into detail about how he could tell something was up with this fight between Menelaus and Agamemnon and their men trying to decide whether to stay. They held a meeting at midnight. Who does that? Everyone's drunk. That's insane. And Nestor knew that the gods had something in store. It was fated that something bad was going to happen. So he said, "We, I got my guys and we got out of there you know yep. and, and and indeed he 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 arrived home first like his journey Odysseus's journey is all about 10 years of whipping all around the world you know trying to get back home um Nestor, boom you know they're yep. they're straight they're straight home they didn't stop for gas you know and they're, just, they're, they're <laughs> just there and it's over but there was a fate thing like he had his you know sort of his finger in the air and you could feel you know something bad Something bad was uh, was coming, and he didn't want to be a part of it, and and he got mm-hmm. out of there. So there's a couple scenes like that, and you know, and the one you two know, too that you mentioned already about that
1: hour fated for for Clytemnestra to give yeah him. yeah yeah. So I, that's I, good. I, I just and that's, think and that's it's how we actually learned. like a. Oh, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting.
0: And that's how we learn about the world, right? And which is which is your yeah. other point. But that's how that's how we still learn about the world. That's that's why mm-hmm. our students are on all the social media apps that they are. I mean, one of the reasons is you want to know what's going on out there, and you find out how right. kids and adults um, interact with each other, and, and and whatever other people groups you're interested in. If you're following the NHL or something, you mm-hmm. want to know how you know how sports land works and elite athletes cool. work. You're just consuming stories, consuming and consuming, and that's what Telemachus gets. Um, it's yep. it's Dead the same, you know, and, and uh, Nestor sits him down and says, I'll tell you how it happened, you know. And now Telemachus is smarter about the world of uh, of, of adults. Yeah. You know?
1: I think, you know, that old joke that if there were cell phones in the time of Seinfeld, most of the Seinfeld episodes wouldn't work. I think if there was <laughs> cell phones in the Odyssey, uh, Telemachus would just need to look at his location and be like, oh, yeah, uh, you want to know where dad is? He's with this uh, nymph. You probably don't want to know. You probably don't want to know uh he's fine he's at the mall he's bad yeah. he's the video's on. Video on turn it off yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> um but he has to but he, you know even though our kids have cell phones we all know that like the actual maturation that they need to experience has to happen outside of their phone and their room and their school and their town i mean it has to be transcendent of all that and, and i think i don't know hmm. this is a poem where like we just did book six today and i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but it's Total. most people that teach it that aren't crazy, like Paul and I skip book six, but there's this, there's all kinds of like nuggets. And I think book Mm -hmm. three is one of those too. Like you could kind of skip it or summer, but anyway, we're just talking about what it means to grow up and with students, like, is there a more important conversation than that? Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, there's not. I, you know, I, I don't think there is. And, and there's even something it's not, you know, I don't know. It's it's sort of like ambulance chasing, maybe to watch the detail. And if I had, I don't really have a surprising quote, but it's the scenes that stand out is the great mm-hmm. detail that the chapter goes into the um, into the sacrifices, which is how I sort of oh, frame, that. Out, frame, frame that out for my students. Look at this thing. It's really something. And you right. know, they bring out a metal worker to gild the horns with gold. You know, like it's this. Yeah. Technical skill thing that they and they're gonna burn this thing and then his older brother, Thrasmedes, comes out here with a big axe. You know. Yeah. Where the was <laughs> I mean, said and all the grain was scattered, Thrasmedes in a flash swung the axe and at one blow cut through the neck, tendon. you
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle was paralyzed. I mean yeah. I think we've been very friendly to our vegan listeners uh until now thank you for that um yeah yeah but it's, now it's but apocalypse also, now. you know that but at also, the
0: end also of like
1: th- th- this is uh it's very like organic butchery like this this animal every part of the animal has a purpose and it's either yeah. consumed or offered in a sacrifice to the gods so mm. i don't mm. know it's 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 uh there's there's nothing both with the animal and the poem, there's nothing wasted. So
0: Yeah, no. And and even something so grand as uh, as killing all of these bulls they do is not even enough. You know, they, they they add some gold to it. Um as you know, as, as well. There's more to there's more to give. And then the bleeding, the wailing of the women and pesostratus cut her throat across and the black blood ran and life ebbed from her marrow. Uh the carcass now sank sank down and they disjointed the shoulders and the body. You yeah. Know, they just go, yeah. and they wrap them and burn them and eat them, you know, and they're pouring out some portion of it, just throwing it in the fire, you know, just burn it. No one's going to eat it. And then they cut off pieces that they do eat. It's, it's, it's great. And I, I found my students, you know, sort of interested in this, you know, in the mechanics of how, of how, this, of how this works. And so they're mm-hmm. learning, and, and you can imagine Telemachus sitting there watching, maybe with his mouth hanging open, like, what on earth is happening? this is, you know, this is really gruesome. And, and it's something, maybe, maybe your students just pass on, maybe they don't want to hear it, but others sometimes are, you know, are are captivated by it. It's a connection with, uh, with the world and with, you know, with animals and, and, and with their, and with their food, even, you know, we're so, we're so distant from that. One summer teaching, I worked on a, I worked on a farm, um, in, uh, Essex, Massachusetts. And, uh, there was a a chef who ran it and we slaughtered chickens every Thursday, about 20 uh, chickens. And I've been so, so far from anything like this, but you know, at one o'clock that day, they were all running around pecking the dirt at six o'clock that evening, they were in an ice chest, you know, heading down to Boston to a restaurant, you know, literally. And um, it's a, it's, it's something our students don't, you know, don't, don't experience. So again, as a, as a way in there's a religious thing to this that they may be interested in just how Mm -hmm. the religion works the um what is owed to the gods um and then also just a a living in the world in a you know in in a raw direct contact um sort of way um Mm -hmm. that that's described here that's that's um um I don't know. That's eye opening. That's interesting, and certainly for him, yeah. because it's broadening. You know, it's broadening his mind, broadening, yeah. broadening his world. I don't know. I don't know if he went to church all those years. You know, while he's waiting for his dad to come home, maybe he was just sitting at home, and, you know, Sunday mornings or Saturday nights, or whatever. But he's at church now wow. on the beach. You know, with with these yeah. bulls and the axe. You know, and yep. seeing seeing religion. You have to see that. You have to deal with it. And I say that, Mister. Well, you have it. to know. whatever like, your religious. You know background of commitments you know yep. end up being even if they're nothing. you have to deal with it like it's something you have to you right. have to take on you know as a you know as a person. yeah
1: and i we could go down so many rabbit holes but I, the last thing I want to say is ah. there was a time where you know I, for the very first time I visited my then girlfriend now wife's house hmm. or like friends growing up and you go to their houses and then some part of you consciously or not even consciously realizes they cook differently than I do than my mother does, or my father does. They sit around the table differently. They have TV trays and watch TV. Some people they do this or that. And like your world gets a little bigger. And then the key to the odyssey is (laughs) what is it like going home after leaving home? And we're getting Mm -hmm. ahead of ourselves. Telemachus has that experience and, so that's part of growing up too—is—is is seeing home with different eyes, and the only way you can do that is books like Book Three happening to you.
0: Yes, yes, that is that is very very well put. And so directly, if you're trying to hold the story to a plot, Telemachus doesn't directly learn what he's there to learn, but he grows and he, mm-hmm. he expands, and he does hear that his father is great. He also hears from Nestor that 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 he looks a lot like his father. There's some encouragement yeah. in that, I think. You know, you are essentially you are your father's son. I can verify. Yeah. You know, I've seen you both now, and, yeah. and that's something—a little something—he takes—he takes with him, and—and and that's real life. That's how real life—that's how real life mm. works. It's not a mechanical thing. Yeah, you can be out in a spreadsheet exactly. You know.
1: Right. Right. So that was pretty good for a chapter that most people skim over. <laughs> If any of you are listening and wondering what was it like when Paul and Jay worked together, it was a lot of this and not a lot of grading. (laughs) It was nice. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm still kind of there now that we're back, you know. There are a lot of papers I have not grading right now, this (laughs) moment, you know. And I'm very happy to leave it that way. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, this was really nice, Paul. Thanks for your time.
0: Yes. Yeah. Jay, thank you. Thank you again. Thanks for your insights into this and just sharing how this live is happening in your, you know, in your class, even this year. So, all right. Hey, we'll, um, we'll catch you next time. Book uh, four, right?
1: Yeah. We'll talk about book four. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Paul. Have a good one. Bye-bye.